Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by Capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Melissa Kwan, good evening and welcome to the Support Automation Show. Thanks for having me, Justin. Where does this podcast find you? I am in Amsterdam currently. Amsterdam, beautiful, beautiful city and a beautiful country. I spent a little bit of time there when I studied abroad, but it was a debaucherous four or five <laughs> days and not really something to talk about on the podcast, but it is a beautiful city. I mean, debauchery is what this city is known for. Um, <laughs> very, very free-spirited, very liberal. So one of the reasons why we moved here. Yeah, it's a, you, can, you can have a lot of fun in Amsterdam. So thank you for coming on on the show. And you are the co-founder and CEO of eWebinar. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led to eWebinar, and then we can use that as a launching point for the rest of our discussion. Cool, yeah. So um, eWebinar is my third company, so two startups before this, both in the real estate tech space. First company was supposed to be a product company, but then we said yes to everything and then turned into an agency. <laughs> familiar story. Um, and then ran that for four years. I was so sick of like chasing clients, chasing the invoice. It was just like never ending. So I wanted to create a product that we could sell to everyone instead of, um, you know, instead of trying to get people to pay us a lot of money for one thing. So that led to my second company, Spacio, uh, which was acquired in 2019. That was also in the real estate space, SaaS company, um, anyone that's been to an open house, uh, when you walk into an open house, agent asks you to sign in on a piece of paper. We were the iPad version of that. Was, um, things like that. So it was like an enterprise SaaS product. Um, so you can imagine being a bootstrap company. Um, I always had a really small team. So I was the person doing all the demos, sales pitches, onboarding, training, feature updates, customer education, like you name it. I was doing those on back then go to webinar and then Zoom or like whatever I could find that sucked the least. <laughs> and um, I was also um, nomadic, so traveling um, in different parts of the world. So not only was I doing these like repetitive trainings on and onboardings, like sometimes five back to back, I was also doing them on like opposite time zones. So I had always envisioned this incredible product that would do my job for me while I would go and have fun. Um, and so that's exactly what eWebinar is after I sold that company in 2019. Um, it was like a life-changing outcome, but it wasn't like retirement level, um, sadly. So I really want to work for my life. Um, and this was just a problem that kept bugging me. Like it kept me up at night that something better than what was out there did not exist. While billions of dollars were getting poured into live broadcasts, Right, like Zoom's Instagram Live, Facebook Live, Restream, like right. everybody's doing live, but nobody's solving the scalability of that. So I kind of saw that as like the natural next step, but it was also just a problem I knew intimately well. So two months after that company sold, I started eWebinar. Um, in 2019, we put the product out there summer of 2020. So everybody thought we started it because of the pandemic. Uh, no, because you know anything you see on the markets, you, somebody's been working on it for like a year and a half, two years. So that's, that's the founding story, uh, really like really created this product to solve a pain I, I knew existed. And now what's cool is we use the product every day. Like I don't do live demos, like anybody that asks for a demo, like 
there's nothing that speaks louder than just being inside the experience itself. So I just send them to our site. Yeah. And you're getting into what I think is going to be a thread that we're going to continue to follow on this show and this conversation. And that is the on-demand nature of basically customer and prospect communications. And when a, you know, a webinar or a demo may be a prospect, but customer support training, you know, I have been known to record vidyards of different product features and send out to our customers. Or if I get really ambitious, I'll load up Camtasia and do something a little <laughs> more, a little more high end. But at the end of the day, it's still a asynchronous video yeah. uh, consumption. And I know you guys have a platform that enables some kind of live Q&A and other sort of enhanced things beyond just watching a video. It's not it's not just a video player. There's there, there's more to it. Um, and I want to get to all that. But before I do, I'm going to start the official interview with the same question I ask everybody. And that is when you hear the phrase support automation, what does that mean to you? I think it means automating everything that can be automated so that you can focus your time on things that can't love it. And, yep. that, and then that's kind of really the foundation, right? Like, and I always say like, if you feel like a robot doing it, then let a robot do it. So you can just go do something else. And even if that's something else, like I actually don't love the idea of, Hey, automate this so you can be more productive. Like we didn't build this product so you can work more. We built this product so you can work less. Right. So like even like on our site, like our mission is like to help people get their time back to spend it with friends and family and to do other things you enjoy. And if you enjoy working more, that's amazing. But this is not like yet another productivity tool. Right. There are plenty of those on the market and there is a distinctive a difference, I think, in the weight of the word automation when you look at it in different contexts, right? Uh, the unfortunately named category of software, robotic process automation, is very much about literally recreating sort of mouse and keyboard actions to go through whatever TPS report and file it in whatever, you know, on-prem system. Whereas we take a very similar approach to you in, in that, like, if you can automate things to free up time for people to do better work, like, you should do it. And if there are things that need to be just literally not made easier, but removed from the workload, automation is not a scary word there. It's a liberating word. It's, a, it's the kind of thing where you can get more out of the day without you know, replacing people with robots. One of the things that we were talking about a little bit when we were going back and forth about this conversation was this concept of using video kind of as part of a training and customer support um, regimen. You mentioned that you don't do live demos with eWebinar anymore. You have kind of, yeah. each, the product is the demo and then you send people to the site. You also sort of mentioned that you do that for for training and customer um, issues as well. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because that's a really interesting use of the medium. Yeah, I mean, our biggest customer base is customer success teams. Um, and actually, the smaller the team, the more impact we have. Like we have, yes, we have large companies as well. It's not really our focus. Um, 
because they have like massive support teams where webinars is one of those things. In fact, one of our customers had like their team is so big. They had before us teams of people that would run webinars 24 seven for their customers around the world because they're big enough to do that. But how many companies are big enough to do that? Right. And if we look at customer success teams, like I have customers where there are 500,000 users on, on their platform and three people on the CS team. And webinars is one of those things. And it's like this hot potato, right? So that's where we make the most impact. Um, and as you can imagine, like even non-tech companies, but tech companies, especially SaaS companies, like your revenue is, is dependent on conversion and churn. And how do you increase that in lower churn, right? You have to get people like up to speed with your product as soon as possible. And especially with people that are selling into enterprises, like if their team members are not using you, like you can't justify the value and you need to justify value from day one. So what do companies do, right? They have maybe a live webinar once or twice a month because that's really at capacity. Like nobody really wants to run that. And then maybe they put the replay on, you know, a Wistia page, but I mean, are people going to watch that or not? Like there's just this mentality behind registering for a webinar that like, you pick a time, there's a calendar invite, there's reminders, follow-ups, like the mentality of joining an event that you're dedicating time to and knowing that when you go there, you can engage and ask questions and, and do things like that. That makes it very different than a video. And that's why like we keep saying we're not just a video platform. Just because we start with a video, it doesn't mean we are YouTube. And I, and I also love saying like, if YouTube was enough, then Zoom would not exist. There's a difference between watching a video, which is a one-side consumption, and attending a webinar or an online event, which is two-way like two-way participation. And, and that's where customer support teams or customer success teams love the most because you are all about building the relationship with the customer. If while they're learning your product, they can't reach out to you, like in that moment, then you're missing that opportunity to build that relationship. So while I don't deliver demos or my onboardings or my trainings live, if I'm in front of the computer or in my phone, like I'm managing the chat. Like if a chat message comes in, like I have the opportunity to hop in and respond and people are delighted because they know it's recorded. So, but they have an opportunity, like I now have an opportunity to delight them with, you know, an instant response, but even if I'm not there instantly, I can respond later and they'll get my email, you know, later on. So it's kind of like a Zendesk or the, the chat system works kind of like a Zendesk or intercom. It's asynchronous and people are already kind of used to that. So definitely like lots of, um, lots of companies using this to, to automate their onboarding and training so they can free up time to create some other content. Yeah. You're, you're almost literally having a clone of yourself go out and do, <laughs> go out and do the actual webinar while you can, you know, plow through your email inbox or do whatever it is that that you have to do and still be able to engage with people as Slack messages come in or chats or however the engagement's delivered. It's a very interesting idea. And I think there is another piece to this that I want to ask you about because you're uniquely positioned to answer this. On this show, a lot of times I talk to either CS or um, CX people Sometimes I'm talking to someone in IT or HR where 
you're answering a lot of questions and doing support tickets and having conversations, but a lot of times it is not the medium of video. And in a world where TikTok is sort of eating into the available engagement hours of basically everyone on earth at this point, and YouTube has a bazillion hours of content uploaded every second or whatever their stat is. Uh, Zoom is omnipresent, whether that's good or bad. <laughs> this we'll, we'll leave it to the comments. But at the end of the day, video is a huge medium that's relatively underserved in support outside of just sort of product run throughs or something that aren't that don't also enable this this sort of synchronous. I'm sorry, this asynchronous chat. I'm curious from your perspective, how do you see sort of interactive pre-recorded webinars sitting in the larger mix of channels that companies engage with their customers? I mean, I'm, I'm definitely biased when I'm saying this, but I also believe it. it is asynchronous video consumption, asynchronous webinars, like including on demand is the future. And the future is here already in many sense, right? Like, I, I talk about this a lot, which is like the disconnect between B2B and like B2C. Oh, yes. This is one of my favorite topics. Yeah, right. So like, why is it that when you and I are consumers and I want to I watch my show, I can go to Apple TV, I go to Netflix, Amazon, like whatever your favorite provider is, I can just press, press play. Like, it's completely unacceptable for me to watch something like next Tuesday at 11. And that's it. And then I have to watch a replay. But then the replay is like poor quality. And then so many people are interrupting. So why is it that when, when we're consumers, we have this super high expectation for video and audio quality and flexible scheduling? Whereas for B2B content, we accept the status quo that there's connection issues, video sucks, audio breaks up. But why, why is that the norm, right? So I do think that those like B2C, like our expectations when we are a consumer and our expectation when we're consuming content as a business person will align. And why is that important? It's because the companies that recognize that trend can use that as a competitive advantage, right? So our customers tell us like all the time, they were dubious when they were trying this because they're like, well, are people going to be mad or frustrated if I don't respond right away. Like if I have my webinar on a recurring schedule and they ask me something at 3 a.m. and I'm not, I'm not there, like, will they be pissed off? But it's like, well, that's what autoresponders are for. That's what your intercom is for. That's what your Zendesk is for. Also, people are empathetic. Like they're also business people, right? Like they're not gonna be like, Justin, why didn't you get back to me right away, right? And so what they're telling us is now that they've tried doing this, like automating their, their trainings and onboardings with, with a video, not only are they seeing more engagement, higher attendance rate, like the average attendance rate across all of our customers, not a small segment, all of our customers is consistently 65% every wow. single month. That's great. That is more than 25% over the industry average of, of webinars. And why is that? Because this is a webinar that happens all the time. Right. So I get to choose whether I want to watch it right now or next week or tomorrow, but the experience is the same. You're recording this on Camtasia, Loom, Descript, like pick a, soft, pick a software, but you're recording it at like Netflix level quality. 
So now I'm recording this. I'm watching this at super high definition. No one's doing housekeeping. No one's interrupting with questions that I don't care about. And I don't have a connection issue because it's a video. We don't need to have high bandwidth, right? Like anyone, even on their phone can watch it. If they, if they can watch a video, they can watch an e-webinar. So that's, that's why I think it's the future. It's because we are already living this way, but not in business. And that actually makes no sense to me. Your business content should be on demand, should be high quality. It should be flexible to me. You should not dictate what I, as your customer, get to consume at what time. And that's where I see kind of the interesting um, crossroads that we're at because businesses aren't fully there yet. I would say like the full adoption of Zoom happened like 2020, right? And now people are like having major fatigue, not just as the host, but also as the, like the attendee, right? The viewer. So the better the experience you can provide, the more competitive you can be and the better relationship that you can build. Because guess what? They're going to be telling their friends, hey, I'm using this company and I just sat into their training and it was awesome. Right. And you know, there's another part of this that as a marketer, I this is a pain I feel, especially as a marketer that draws the short straw and hosts quite a bit of the webinars that we do. Or I, in fact, just late last month, I moderated a panel on the future of um, automation and AI in the mortgage industry. And while I am trying to be a host and stay present and looking at my camera and not, you know, just kind of nodding off like people tend to do on these things, I was also looking at the questions coming in and then having to live this parallel world of being there to fill silence if for whatever reason it happens or to pass the ball from one panelist to the next and just do all the things a host is supposed to do and read all the questions, try to either type answers or slack someone on my team. Hey, can you look something up for me so I can paste this into this person with this sort of creator mentality that you imbue with people? I mean, this is how TikTok works, right? Like, yeah, you can go live, but most of the engagement is pre-recorded video and then comments, right? Yeah. And the and the lifespan of the that video is the the senescence to use a fancy word is is the the decay is long on it because you just keep getting people watching the video, keeps getting shared, you keep new comments coming. Business content should be the same way. I'm fully on board with this, and it gives you this ability to sort of be able to look at engagement on the webinar not just from the one performance, but for a catalog of plays, basically. And then you can see, hey, most of our questions come in when we talk about this. Engagement drops off when we explain that. And then guess what that is? That's a signal to then go either fix that problem or re-record it so that you can provide better support to the people who are watching that in the future. I kind of just did a pitch for you there a little <laughs> extemporaneously, but I think it's a really important piece of the go forward support automation puzzle is this being able to deliver business content with the same comfort and utility that as a viewer, I get to experience something like TikTok and as a creator of, or a YouTuber gets to experience from the metrics they provide. It's very, very cool. Yeah, and I also I also want to add that um, once you automate something, like once you know you can have a medium to deliver 
your onboarding and training like like automatically just think about the breadth of content you can then create right like we have customers that are that are saying like we were before you guys we only had like one onboarding one overview and that that happens once a week um but now that no one has to actually do it live like they just have people answering questions they now are able to go super deep into the product for intermediate users for advanced users that they were never able to do before previously it was just like hey everybody gets the same thing and now they're even able to create like specific trainings for certain tracks of users right whether it's industry tracks or line of business our biggest customer has over 200 webinars running every month in parallel wow can you imagine like the manpower it would take to do that i mean they're a big company but but still like um we have like more like medium-sized companies that have 50 webinars and using this for the first time to deliver enterprise, a client specific training. Like how amazing of a value prop is that when you sell into an account and you're like, we will give you dedicated training. And it's just like, you know, somebody recording it once and then rolling it out and it just kind of, you know, snowballs um, on its own. And there's also like a succession piece that, that we never really talk about is to give you an example. So I was still working for my previous company when I started eWebinar. So they were the first customer naturally. Um, we like the first ever use case was like, I delivered the training for, for Stacio. I left that company two years ago. I'm still running some of their trainings. So when a trainer leaves, like nowadays, it's like, well, who's going to fill them? Right. Or like, oh, this person's amazing at running webinars, but like he's going on vacation. Who's going to fill that spot? Right. Oh, maybe we just cancel that one until he comes back. Right. Right. So automation has has that kind of succession benefit that is just a bonus. Yeah, it does. And somewhat related. This is going to be a weird transition, but you know what? We're going to we're going to see if I can land the plane. Somewhat related to succession you know, the concept of people leaving. There's also a phenomenon that we're seeing a lot in the news today of companies downsizing for, for various reasons, right? And my heart goes out to the, to the people and the families of people affected by all this. But one of the things that is clear is that the expectation of customer support and customer success for a customer and the, the vendor is not going to go down because the vendor had to downsize their team, right? Like everybody has got to continue delivering excellence or they will have their customers churn out. I'm curious to hear your take on where automation and technology and some of the things that we're kind of talking about today plays into this, both with asynchronous video and webinars, but also outside of that, just your general take on it, because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot last few weeks. It's just, you know, we are going to have to start doing more with less, not we capacity, but we in general. And this is something that even if people aren't saying it out loud, they're definitely thinking about it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. Um, I mean, we're reading that like daily at this point in LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, 
you know, companies doing like massive layoffs. And it's, it's not only the fact that I think we have to do more, more with less. I think we've just as a society, we're always looking to do that. Now we're like, we have to be like hyper efficient, right? Everyone's outsourcing. We want to do more with less. We don't have enough capital. We can't raise money, right? Like we always should be optimizing anyway for profitability. But I think where it gets hard is not just the fact that you have to do more with less. It's you have to do so much more to impress your customer because our expectations of what is acceptable, not even exceptional, like our expectation of what is like standard has completely gone up. Like just even me and you, right? Like I download something, I go like two seconds. Okay, it doesn't work. Or like it doesn't integrate with all this other stuff. Right. Right. Like while I think the barrier to entry for like technology companies, because we're both a technology company, is is has never been lower. Like it's never been harder to win a customer, especially if you're a SaaS. It's not like a one-time sale. And there's so many incumbents and people doing better things than you. So I like to think about it not as like, okay, like to be competitive, you have to do more with less because internally you just need to do that. But externally, you better start thinking about the quality of content and service and product and and work, sales pitches that you have to be constantly just iterating on because our expectations is not changing. It's only going up. So how does this apply to like, you know, support automation, right? Like sales is, is a one hit wonder. It's like the beginning of the end, right? Like your new customer is coming in touch with support. Like that's, that's their first experience and how they're like, that's your brand. So if you are like, how are you representing your brand and the ethos of your company and the quality of everything that you deliver, like how is that being communicated through the products that you use, right? Or the trainer that, that is being, you know, that is delivering that pitch, right? Or your response time, like all of that is, is the same thing. Um, and, and that's kind of where I, I see this going is like, okay, not only do I have to do more or less, I have to do a lot more on the quality than someone else. Yeah. One of my little mantras that I repeat a lot is, you know, the barrier entry to get into, to get a new customer onboarded or, or a new opportunity or whatever it is that you're using the phrase barrier to entry being low for most oftentimes, whatever that threshold you just walked through, that's also the same barrier to get out. Right. So like a, a, a low barrier of entry to implement something means there's also a low barrier of entry to churn out. And, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> right. It's like there's one door yeah. in the in the store and you never want your churn to be low because you've got draconian contracts with all of your customers that sort of lock them in despite them hating the product, Salesforce. But the <laughs> <laughs> shots fired. No, no shade in my friends at Salesforce. It's just... Well, the best CRM is always the one you're not using. So it's nothing against Salesforce. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I think I think I work a Salesforce dig in probably half of the recordings of this show. So if if uh, Mark Banioff ever hears this, I'm sorry, dude, but make a better oh, it's product. It's like free advertising though. Yeah, he doesn't care. Um, <laughs> but anyway, like the, the, the minimally acceptable experience only goes up. And I think you talked about it a little bit earlier, like 
this thing is remarkable from a user experience perspective. Like this is why Apple's a $3 trillion company because on the whole, this is one of the best user experiences we've ever seen. And like, that is the standard bearer, right? So like, yes, you may have a cloud accounting solution, whatever it is, but like at the end of the day, if someone goes from using your cloud solution to their iPhone, like they're gonna notice the difference in experience. And it's incumbent on support leaders business leaders, entrepreneurs, et cetera, that we deliver the most seamless experience possible for our customers. We're running close to the uh, end of our conversation here. So I wanna finish the meat of this conversation with two questions for you. The first one is, what piece of advice would you give to a business leader, entrepreneur, VP of CS, whatever it is, on getting started with how to bring automation into their organization? I mean, I the simplest piece of advice I can give is don't be afraid and just start. Like we have people that, you know, it's, I mean, I come from the real estate world. So lots of veterans in that industry. And in the beginning, we would hear people say, but I have to do this live because people like they enjoy it. Like they enjoy me calling out their name and stuff. It's like, no, they don't. They just want to get the content and get out of there. Like it's, they're coming to my site to get a demo of my product, not for me to deliver this, not, you know, so it's the same thing, right? So don't be afraid to try new things because that's where the world is going. Last question before we get to a little quick fire round. What excites you the most about the future of support automation I think there's just so much growth, right? Like, you know, for a long time, like I posted this on LinkedIn yesterday, like I spent my entire career in sales and I now realize that there are three positions that I would pay way more for because what used to work well for me and what I used to be great at no longer works for the customer. And those are customer success, community building and growth marketing, which includes like SEO and like backlinking and and things like that. Right. I think what excites me is I'm now seeing a huge shift away from only recognizing sales as a revenue position and recognizing those other three that I just mentioned as revenue positions because there's long tail effect. Where there's an exponential effect to having a great CS program. But what is a great CS program? Right? Like it's it involves. Sometimes it's tech touches, sometimes it's high touch, right? Just depending on, you know, what your product is and where your price point is. But what solves that? Like it's technology will solve that. And and there's, I think I read somewhere, like I think Gainsight might've put out this report, like there's like 250,000 CS people, I guess, like like in, in the world, I want to say, or maybe in the US, I'm not sure. But that's not a lot, right? So that what that says to me is there are people that have to transition into these new roles. Otherwise it's like a zero sum game. So it's just the potential for growth. I think that that excites me just because I'm in the space, but also it's, I would just love to see salespeople come like just complacent salespeople get way less attention and people that actually do the work to keep the customer get paid what they're supposed to. Yep. A good CS person is like a good teacher in that they're invaluable to the organization, one side society in the case of a teacher, but also underpaid and underappreciated. So great comment to end it on. 
We're going to go through our quick fire round, which after 60 recordings, you would think I would have like a catchy name for this, <laughs> like shooting the Schmidt or <laughs> catching capacity quick fire. I don't know. I <laughs> Maybe we'll think, all figure it out here. <laughs> I think I think that's the brand is is me struggling to come up with a name for it. What's the book you most often recommend to people? Presentation Secrets of Seed Jobs. You answered that very quickly. That's it's very frequent. It's a very frequent recommendation. Yeah. I have not read it, but I have heard of it. And it's, it's on an Amazon wish list somewhere in my account. As a three-time founder, wearing all the hats that you do at a startup, your time is valuable. And I'm sure it's, it's hard, to, hard to come by too. So you probably have a lot of great productivity, tips, hacks, tricks, practices, Pick your pick your word. What's the one that you use the most that drives the most value for you? Have non-negotiable boundaries. Ooh, I like this one. And stick to them because they're non-negotiable. <laughs> uh, example, I get up late because I sleep late. I don't take calls in the morning, period. Yeah. Um, I don't work on weekends anymore. Like if I, if I have to, like if there's a customer issue, absolutely, customer's always first. But like very, very like strong boundaries. And that allows me to be happier and more productive when I am like doing things. Oh, I love it. I love it. If you could recommend one website, blog, Slack community, LinkedIn group, real life group for people who want to be better support leaders, what would it be? Um, it would be, there is a Slack group that I love. Um, it is... Customer Success Leadership Network. Yep, that's a good one. Very, very active. Like lots of, like anytime I post a question on there, it's like, boom, two seconds. I get exactly what I need. Yeah, I've, I've grown very fond of the professional networking inside of Slack and, and these other groups. Perhaps I subscribe to too many of them, but there are a lot, there is a lot of value there. All right, last question for you. You get to take one person dead or alive out for coffee or a cocktail, depending on the time of day, I guess, and the vibe. Um, and you get to pick their brain about being a better founder, CEO, et cetera. Who is it? Wow. That's a really big question. Um, I would, I'm following Justin Welsh right now. Oh, he's great. Solopreneur guy, man, yeah, that guy is. is like a machine and I don't know how he does it, but like I, I subscribe to his news, newsletter as well, as well. Like he is probably one of the best content writers I've ever like quote unquote met on the internet. Like I'm like, look, like taking this course and stuff right now. Like he's just incredible. Yeah. He's, he's very well respected in the, uh, International Society of Justins. He's, he's one of our favorites. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us on the Support Automation Show. If people want to know about more about you or eWebinar, where can they find you? Um, connect with me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest. My name is Melissa Kwan, K-W-A-N. And if you're curious about you know, eWebinar and how you might be able to leverage it in, in your business, um, it's exactly as it sounds, eWebinar.com. Love it. Great domain perfectly uh, conveys the uh, value prop. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the Support Automation Show and you have a wonderful evening. Thanks so much, Justin. The Support Automation Show is brought to you by Capacity. Visit capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform. You can find the show by searching for Support Automation in your favorite podcast app. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Capacity, thanks for listening. <laughs>